Welcome to the Well Studying Podcast. This is episode 108. It's May 9th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, in today's episode, we're going to do things a little differently. Today, I want to talk to you about a couple of my wealth building principles, namely embracing technology and how to profit from trends. And for those of you that are new to this show and you're not familiar with my 10 wealth building principles, go back and listen to the first 10 episodes of this podcast. That's where I lay out my philosophies and my ideas on building wealth. And it's been the foundation and the means by which I've built my wealth over these past 30 years or so. Well, what's going to be different about today's episode is that I'm not so much going to talk about these two principles, but I'm going to play for you a commentary piece by my friend Stephen Harris about his opinions on Tesla and Tesla's Powerwall and the future of lithium batteries. Now, I'm doing this for a couple reasons. But one of the main reasons is that, is that I receive a lot of questions from listeners asking about, you know, what books should I read or how can I learn to identify trends? You know, how can I be a better investor? All these type things. And it isn't that I don't think there are good sources out there or good books to read. It's just so much of a personal thing for me. I mean, I think over my past 30 years of where I've gotten my education and the things that I've read, many times I've learned from things not because they were good sources of information, but actually because they were bad sources of information. So that's why I'm hesitant to recommend that you read or watch specific things. Also, I know that everybody learns differently. Some people are very formulaic. Other people think more nuanced. And so what appeals to me may not appeal to you. In any case, the point I want to make today about wealth building principle number five, which is embrace technology, and wealth building principle number six, which is profit from trends, is you see, you don't learn about these things by reading a book or looking at stock balance sheets. The way you can identify and profit from trends and then the way you embrace technology in your life is by going out and living life. You learn science and educate yourself to be able to, to be a critical thinker, to develop reason and logic, and then you go out and you interact with the world around you. You look for anomalies, you look for what's popular, you look for things that seem to make sense, and you try and create a vision for the future. And that's what I want to give you an example of today. Now, I have received some questions about Stephen's comments. In fact, I'll do a shout out to a good friend of the podcast, Tim in Ohio. He was the first to bring this to my attention, and then other people have followed up with it. Stephen recently did some commentary that was played on Jack Spirico's Survival Podcast. As I mentioned, Stephen is a personal friend. I've met him at several TSP events. Him and I both serve on the TSP Expert Council. So I'm replaying this today with Stephen's permission, and I'm doing it in light of his knowledge and his expertise on alternative energy. See, for me, Stephen is the go-to guy if I have some questions about what generator to buy or how to rig up some emergency power for my ham radio or what I need to do if the electricity goes out and I want to keep my freezer and my refrigerator running for a couple days until the power is restored. Stephen's my personal resource for that. If you do want further information on him, and it'll be in the show notes, his website is stephen1234.com. That's www.stephen1234.com. So listen to what Stephen says. Listen to his passion. Understand that I do respect his opinion. And I do want to preface this and say up front, I'm not endorsing any type investments in Tesla or some of the companies that Steve may reference or anything to do with lithium batteries. I'm simply providing today's podcast with the desire to, again, teach you how to think for yourself, to give you an example of how to embrace technology, like we talk about in Wealth Building Principle number 5, or how to profit from trends, like we talk about in Wealth Building Principle number 6. I currently have absolutely no plans or intentions of investing in Tesla or lithium batteries or any of that kind of stuff anytime in the near future. That's not the point of today's show. 
Remember, this podcast never makes recommendations or provides you with any kind of specific advice. I just want to open up your eyes to things that are happening around you. You know, if you're not already aware of what's going on with alternative energy and things like lithium batteries and what those implications are for the future, that's what I'm trying to do today. So listen to Stephen's comments and then I'll come back with my own commentary and give you some of my thoughts and ideas specifically to the trend around alternative energy and lithium batteries. So sit back, relax, and listen to Stephen Harris's thoughts on the future of lithium batteries. Hi, this is Steve Harris for the Expert Panel calling in to answer your question. I want to put the Tesla battery announcement in a different light for you. Consider it being May of 1908, and this guy called Henry Ford says in October he'll start production of a horseless carriage called the Model T. We're all using buggies and horses. What's this Model T thing? Will it change stuff? Nah. Not only this, but Ford says the price of the car will be only $825. That's a factual price. And that in less than five years from now, he'll be making so many Model Ts that the price will be $440. That is also a factual price. Elon Musk, the man who helped found PayPal, the man who took his billions and started SpaceX, as well as the Tesla electric car business, is much like Henry Ford. They both started with a lot of money, and they both made their own state-of-the-art manufacturing factories. Tesla is going to open a giga battery factory in Nevada just to make lithium-ion batteries for home, business, utility, and his Tesla cars. He's betting big, just like Henry Ford did, and I know he's going to win big. What will be the effect of putting a lithium-ion battery on the market in mass manufacture for $3,000 that has a coulombic efficiency of 99.996% when a lead acid is less than 75? It's going to be tremendous. Back of the envelope calculation says the Tesla system would be about one-third the weight of lead acid batteries. The lead-acid battery was invented in 1859. This is mid-19th century technology we're using today in 2015. Not much has changed in it. Finally, we're dealing with a late 20th century, early 21st century battery technology. The effect of having a mass-manufactured lithium-ion battery is going to be a total game-changer. It will be like... Uh, before the iPhone was introduced versus seven years later when we have Androids and iPhones everywhere. That's how much of a game changer this is going to be. I'll talk a little bit more about it in a few minutes. Now, NASA has flown these batteries on the space shuttle and on satellites. Using some electrochemistry tricks, they get 40,000 cycles out of the battery. Lead acid... 250 to 1500 cycles. Doing one cycle a day gives that 
lithium battery a life of 109 years. Now, Tesla is not doing these electrochemistry tricks on their batteries. So they have a cycle life of, say, 3,000 to 5,000 cycles. That's a good 10-year life battery with daily use. But there's nothing to stop them with a few change to a few lines of code in their battery charger that they can do the same electrochemistry tricks to NASA for spaceflight. You may be able to buy from them literally a battery that will last 20, 40, 50, or more years. Now, what do I mean when I say Coulombic efficiency earlier? That means if I have a 100 watt hours I put into the battery and its Coulombic efficiency is 99.996%, I'll get 99.996 watt hours back out of the battery. Lead acid batteries are well below 75%. So your 100 watt solar panel charging a lead acid battery is like only having a 75 watt solar panel. On a Tesla battery, it'd be like having a 92 watt panel. Lithium ion batteries are like nothing you are ever used to. They do not behave like lead acid batteries at all, nor nickel metal hydride or any other thing. This is a whole hour long discussion that I'm not going to go into. Saying lithium-ion battery is like saying car. There are so many different flavors of it, it's, it's mind-boggling. They require the lithium-ion batteries, very strict charging control. If you overcharge a lithium-ion battery, it can burst into flame and even explode. Will this happen on Tesla battery? No, it won't. They got very good computer-controlled chargers in there. Can it happen with a cheap 181650 lithium-ion battery from Amazon and a cheap Chinese charger? Yes, it can. I have a whole section on lithium-ion batteries that you can use safely and use today in the middle of prep1234.com. The Tesla battery comes in two models, a 7 kilowatt hour battery for 3000 bucks and a 10 kilowatt battery for 3500 That does not include the cost of the inverter, nor does it include the cost of installation, nor the cost of shipping a 200 plus pound battery by freight to your house with a lift gate. The 7 kilowatt hour is intended to be charged and discharged every day. You charge it at night with lower electric rates, if your state has this, not all do. And then you use the energy from the battery during the peak demand hours when electricity costs the most. This is called peak shaving. Don't forget that word. There is even talk of charging the battery up at night and then selling the electricity back to the utility during the day if you are not using it. Now, before you get all excited about buying electricity at night and selling it during the day, going, yippee, I'm going to make a fortune. It's a 7-kilowatt battery. It's not a lightsaber. So if you buy electricity for $0.05 cents per kilowatt hour at night and sell it for $0.15 cents during the daytime, that's a profit of $0.10 cents per kilowatt hour, and you have a 7-kilowatt-hour battery. So you just made $0.70 cents overnight on a system that cost at least $3,000, not including installation and inverter. That's 21 bucks a month. 3000 divided by 21, that's a 12-year return on investment. Now, with California, where they have 28 cents per kilowatt hour prices during peak demand, your return on investment might be five years if you're doing peak shaving.
The 10 kilowatt battery is more of a weekly use battery, more of a home backup battery. If the power fails, the 10 kilowatt will keep most of your house running. Both of the batteries can only output 2 kilowatts, so it won't run your central AC system. Sorry, but it will keep your refrigerator and freezer and TV powered. So it's really easy for a house to draw 1 kilowatt with all the stuff in it going. So that means your $3,500 10 kilowatt hour battery will last you for only about 10 hours in a blackout. So it's not really a prepper battery. You're still better off with a Stephen Harris battery bank if you want prepper reasons for doing so and weeks of power. How is this a game changer? Tesla is making an electrical fishnet. It captures everything. They're making something that is standard and state-of-the-art. Now you have one device to do peak shaving, one device to do home battery backup, one place to input your solar or your wind power into. They're making a box that goes between your electrical panel and the power company. Will these current versions be huge game changers? No, the current versions won't. What will be the huge game changer is when version 2 or version 3 of this battery comes out in 5 years at half the price of the current battery. Now, that will be a game changer. We can talk about return on investment now in 1 to 5 years with peak shaving alone. Remember, the Model T went from $825 to $440 in five years. That's when it became a game changer and forced out the horse and the buggy. The average person could afford it. The same will be true with the battery. I could talk for hours on this subject, but I only have minutes here. But what I can tell you is that in the next five years, the world's use of lithium is going to be much higher. A lot of lithium is going to be purchased and used. Now, I am not a financial advisor. I cannot give you financial advice. But I am going to tell you the stock symbols of some of the largest lithium producers on the planet. You can talk with your financial advisor about these. SQM, Sierra Quebec Mary, is the largest producer of lithium in the world. FMC, Fox Mary Charlie, is the world's second largest producer. ROC, Roger Oscar Charlie, is the third largest producer. There is also a lithium ETF. Its symbol is LIT, as in Lima Indigo Tango. All of these companies sell a lot more than just lithium. It's only part of your business. So do your research carefully and talk with professionals on how you might go long on lithium. And to sum up what I said earlier, this battery being announced and coming out is like the world before smartphones. And in five, six, seven years, it will be like 2015 with, with smartphones everywhere and a part of our daily life and one billion people on the planet have them. It's going to be huge. The world has changed. You just don't realize it yet. This is Steve Harris for the Expert Panel. You can get everything I've done with Jack at Stephen1234.com. Thanks for the good question. I'm happy to bring this information to you. Bye. Well, there you have it. Those are Stephen's opinions and ideas on where he thinks the industry's headed 
I just want to sum up and give you a couple comments. And again, I want to specify what I said at the beginning of this podcast. I'm not making any recommendations. I personally have absolutely no plans to invest in lithium batteries or Tesla or any of that kind of stuff. The purpose of today's podcast is just to get you to think, to help you to look out in the future and look for trends and look for ways that you can not only profit from them, but how you can embrace that technology into your own life. Now, a couple things I want to add to what Stephen said. Number one, I want to point out that Stephen isn't profiting from any investments you would make in the companies he mentioned or anything like that. And I want to point that as being very important. He's not trying to peddle some stock or pump and dump something. He's not trying to come off and tell you he has some secret insider information or that he read a document from the CIA or the NSA. None of that kind of hypester stuff that you constantly see on late night TV and on the internet where people are trying to pitch you things that are absurd and that they're just trying to make a quick buck off of. He's not trying to sell you a newsletter or give you a list of five stocks that he knows are going to quadruple in the next two weeks. None of that kind of stuff. Whenever you hear people saying those kind of things, close your wallet and run fast the other direction. Stephen is simply voicing his opinion on a subject that he happens to be an expert in. He's very passionate about it. He studies that industry, and he's trying to give you a heads up as to where he sees the future going. That's one point I wanted to make. So when you hear someone like Steve that has the background and has the education, you should process that information. You should weigh it against other things you know. You should do your own research, and then you can draw your own conclusions. But when these hucksters come out and they try and hype you on stuff, like how you can get rich quick or some company that only they know about that you should invest in, that's when you need to be really cautious. The other thing I want to point out is that even though Steven is an expert, he could be wrong. He could be 180 degrees out of phase on what's going to happen in the future. Remember, none of us can predict the future. So you always have to keep that in mind. Just because someone's an expert, they may not be right. That's why you have to use your own critical thinking skills and you always have to hedge your own bets. If you would decide to invest in some technology like this or some other technology you hear that someone pitches you, you don't bet the whole farm on it. You don't put 100% of your savings in that one company or that one industry or that one investment. Particularly when you're dealing with something that's way out in the future or something that could be the cutting edge of technology or the bleeding edge of technology as I like to call it. Well maybe you wouldn't want to commit more than 5% of your portfolio to that. Because even if Steven is right about the future of lithium batteries, what if another technology comes along? What if something new is discovered? Right? That could change the whole playing field overnight. The other thing is, is that the companies that are in business and in that field today may not be the companies that profit from it in the future. I mean, think of computers and where they've gone and computing and integrated circuits and the internet. Look at some of the big names from the 1950s and 1960s. Well, they're gone. And even the ones that are still around, the IBMs of the world, well, they've missed the boat on a lot of the big new technologies. Just like today, Google and Apple and other technology companies, they'll miss out on things. And 20 or 30 years from now, there'll be other companies that leapfrog them in technology and take the Internet and the cloud and computing and take it to other different levels. So you have to be cautious of that. Just because you know the right trend doesn't mean you know the right companies to invest in. The other thing I want to point out is that Stephen said from the beginning, he's not an investment advisor. He's not making recommendations. He's just telling you his own opinion. That's something important. He also told you to seek professional advice. Again, that's a good way to tell that someone isn't a charlatan or a huckster that's trying to hype you on something and just trying to take your money and run. A couple other things I want to point out, particularly with a couple of the companies he mentioned, and this is why I have no plans in the immediate future to invest in these. 
And Stephen did point this out in his talks, but, you know, lithium is just one component of the overall supply chain. You know, if this industry does take off, there's going to be other things besides lithium, although it is a key component. And the people that are currently mining that, companies like SQM or FMC, they potentially could be good companies to invest in for the future because they're already involved in that industry. But the thing to remember, and again, Stephen did mention this, these companies mine a lot of other products. They're involved in a lot of organic chemistry. They're involved in a lot of agricultural type products. And lithium is just a small part of it. SQM, who I believe is the largest producer of lithium, from what I can tell, they're generating something less than 10%, maybe only 8% of their top line sales from lithium. Another concern I would have with a company like SQM is they're a Chilean company. And although I'm not opposed to investing in overseas companies, I do get nervous particularly with commodity companies that are in South America or some of these other nations where there isn't as much transparency, where there's currency risk, where there's always the issue of instability with the government and nationalizing of land and other resources. So that concerns me again. That's why I mentioned that even if you did invest in this type of venture, it isn't something you want to bet the farm on. You don't want to put all your money into it. You might only want to commit 5% of your portfolio. Because what would happen if you made an investment in SQM and even if the whole industry does turn out to work out okay, what happens if there's a change in government or, or a change in regime down in Chile and maybe it moves more to the left and they come in and they nationalize the mines? Well, you've just lost your investment. And if you don't think that would happen, look what's happened in Venezuela, in Russia, in other places. The political winds shift back and forth. You just have to be very cautious anytime you're sending your money outside the United States. Heck, you have to be cautious with your money in the United States. Just be conscious of that. Even a large American corporation like FMC, again, lithium is a very small part. Uh, from what I can tell by looking at their published information, lithium mining maybe makes up 3 or 4% of their overall sales. So again, even if this skyrockets, even if the whole technology takes off, that's a very small portion of their current sales. Now again, I'm not saying that wouldn't grow. I'm not saying that wouldn't change. It's just something that you should be aware of. Something else to think about is that lithium is only one component in this industry, and it happens to be very far upstream, making it a commodity. You should be aware that in most industries, you're not making money on the commodity, you're making money on the value add. I mean, look at something as mundane as athletic shoes. The factory that churns out the basketball shoes, they're not the ones making money. Those are commodities. The money is made in the companies like Nike that have the branding, that have the advertising and marketing. Those are the guys that buy tennis shoes for like $2.75 and turn around and sell them to your kids for $130. The value add is where the money is. So if you do think this is an industry that's headed in the right direction, then maybe just don't look at lithium. Look at the people that are going to add value. And by the way, I did talk to Stephen, and although he didn't specifically mention it in this talk, he has a very high opinion of Tesla stock. Now, again, he's not making any recommendations. I personally have absolutely no opinion on it one way or the other. But again, that's an example of where the value add is going to be, as opposed to just the commodity of the mineral itself. The other thing I want to mention, and this is where Stephen talks about looking forward, looking at what's going to happen, you know, five or ten years down the road, uh, comparing this to what Henry Ford did or comparing this to, you know, computers or the first integrated circuits. I mean, think of what's going to happen in the future, but just don't look at that in terms of what we know today. I mean, think of Moore's Law. If you understood Moore's Law, then say in the 1970s when computers were just starting to really take off as a very profitable industry, you could have had the foresight to look forward 30 or 40 years. And by knowing Moore's law being that every year and a half, 
chips and integrated circuits are going to get half as small and twice as powerful and cost half as much. Well, you'd be able to look at that exponentially out into the future. Look at the geometric growth and say, okay, in the 1970s, computers are very limited. They're very expensive. They can only do certain tasks. But applying Moore's law to the fact that they're going to get cheaper, they're going to get faster, they're going to get smaller, then you could look out and say 30 or 40 years from now, and seeing the impact and the future of things like smartphones and the interconnection of everything and the just the amazing automation and wireless nature of things of where we are today. In the 1970s, you couldn't use computers to do things right now that we just take for granted, like editing software or even creating this podcast, you know, just simple manipulation of audio data. Computers were too slow. Storage was too expensive. But applying Moore's Law, you knew that in maybe 30 years, that was all going to change. And so you have to have patience, and you have to look out into the future, and you have to have vision. Stephen talks about that, and you can hear his passion coming through. Now again, is he right? I have no idea. But I think directionally, he's accurate. There will be a decentralization of the power grid. How much of that is going to come from lithium batteries or, or wind generation or solar power or other forms? I have no idea. But in 30 or 40 years, the electrical grid is going to look very different from what it looks like today. Just compare that to AT&T and the telephone network of 30 or 40 years ago. Right now, you can travel virtually around the world using a cell phone. You don't need all the copper wires. You don't need all the telephone poles. You don't need the AT&T operators to assist you with long-distance calling. I mean, all the things that you needed just 30 or 40 years ago, that entire network has been disrupted. So I don't know precisely what the electrical grid is going to look like in 30 years, but I can tell you, I'm pretty confident that in 30 years or less, and probably a lot less, the electrical grid of today will become as much of a dinosaur as the AT&T telephone grid of the 1950s and 60s has become. Now, will it all move to lithium batteries? How much will Tesla be involved in it? I have absolutely no idea. That's not the point. Remember, the point of today's podcast is not to make specific investment recommendations to you, but help you understand how by being aware of things, by having a knowledge of science and engineering, and using some critical thinking skills and applying some vision and some forecasting, how you can look out into the future and how you can see opportunities, how you can learn to embrace technology, and how you can potentially profit from trends. Thanks again to Stephen Harris for letting me replay his commentary. Again, I'll have it in the show notes, but if you'd like to learn more about Stephen, his website is stephen1234.com. That's www.stephen1234.com. Well, as always, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can reach me through my website, which is wealthsteading.com. Until our next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.